broadcasting live from the beautiful Sheridan Grand at Wild Horse Pass for Conscious Capitalism 2019. It's time for CEO Exclusive. Now, here's your host, Suini Cope. We're continuing our broadcast live from the Conscious Capitalism Conference in Phoenix, and I'm really delighted to have in this segment the chief fool at Motley Fool, Tom Gardner. That's that's a perfect title. It, uh, <laughs> the, the fool cap fits my head very nicely. The cap fits, and uh, it's great to be living in a world of fools, um, and great to be here with you and an opportunity to talk about conscious capitalism and, and what it means to us and, and what sits out there in the future for ways to improve it. Yeah. So, Tom... This show is for mid-market CEOs, and the goal of the show is to have every single mid-market CEO in the country knowing about conscious capitalism and using the principles in their business, Mm. because they work. And I remember in our first conversation, you eloquently spoke about the difference that conscious capitalism principles have made at The Motley Fool. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with conscious capitalism or maybe heavy on the conscious part of it Mm. and not necessarily believing in the capitalism part of Mm. it, Tell us about the difference that Conscious Business Principles have made at The Motley Fool and how they've been a part of your success. Well, we started in 1993. I like to think that we were pretty conscious all the way through, and part of, the, part of that emerges from the fact that we created something that we love to do. So we didn't really anticipate starting a business. Um, that's a whole other story I won't bore you with, but we were taught how to invest as kids by our father as a game for the fun of it. I think it should be a game that every child gets introduced to because it teaches you about the world and... Um, you can put a little bit of your savings into it and, and learn to save and think about um, where the world's going. Um, but so we started it really on a whim just to share our ideas with the world. The Internet happened to be emerging at that time in the early 1990s as a place you could communicate. And David and I thought it was very fun to be able to share ideas with people we didn't know. Mm. That wasn't something available to you um, in any field, really. And so it was just exciting for us, and a variety of things emerged that helped us to incorporate, and, and inve- America Online wanted to invest in us, and we agreed to that, and we created Amer- our I business. I heard that. Exactly. Oh, wait, America Online, my God. <laughs> hey, I still have my AOL email address, <laughs> and it, it elicits a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of smiles and smirks. Um, but, but so there we were, and we're doing what we love. So that helps you out of the gate. And then you start to realize we, we need a business plan. Like we, we, we need to figure out how to use capital. Um, we're going to pay somebody a salary. And so we have, to, we have to have a perspective that we'll be able to continue to pay them that salary two years, three years, four years. So we need to start planning and thinking about that. And I would just say that in the first 10 years, we made a lot of mistakes. We were never uh, cavalier. We weren't reckless. We weren't uh, throwing big parties or anything. We just didn't understand business. Even though we loved investing, we had never run a company before. And so we had a lot to learn. And I, and I think when conscious capitalism emerged for us maybe about 10 years ago, um, we saw elements of what we had been doing, but a lot of intentionality behind it, and a, a real, uh, you know, one one question which is, is fundamental to your work is, um, what are all the different stakeholders in your business? Like, who who will benefit if your company succeeds? Um, well, you know, your neighborhood will. Um, your customers will, the people who work there will. If you have shareholders, they will. Suppliers, they will. You want to create a very long-standing relationship with everyone that's designed to get better. And we do live in a world where it's tough to keep secrets. So if you're taking advantage of your employees in some way um, or if you're not being forthright with your customers, it's going to come to haunt you. And Conscious Capitalism really prepared us for that. I mean, that you, you want everyone, not every group, but every individual who's associated with your organization to benefit. And how do you measure that? How do you know how well you're doing? And that's a, that's a big 
journey that we're on and new tools come out all the time that help us a little bit better um, but but I, I just think that when we met John Mackey and others um, and Raj Sodi and uh, people who had really been thinking about this for a long time, building companies that are much larger than ours, uh, we found um, the yeah we 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 found our tribe. We found people who who were bringing heart and soul into the into the daily business life. And after all, I will say that that's what the best classrooms were like when I was learning. I mean, I think that the data shows that the teachers that we love are the ones we learn most from. And sometimes we love the tough love, too. It's not just you have to be everyone's best friend and a diplomat all the time. But, but somebody who really cares about what they're doing and creates a classroom for learning, why, why wouldn't our organizations be like that? Mm. So what is the Motley Fool's higher purpose? Motley Fool's higher purpose is to make the world smarter, happier, and richer mm. in everything that we do. And um, we, um, we love that. Um, we, as, as my brother says, his favorite word in our, in our higher purpose statement is the word end, um, because we, we won't be satisfied if you just leave smarter or if you just make some money on a Motley Fool investment idea, um, or you just find us amusing. We want you to be smarter, happier, and richer in all of our interactions in the world and all that we bring to the world. And, and it's also a great challenge. I think of higher purpose statements, like I think of core values. Uh, I don't think of them as, um... I, th- I view them as aspirational. Of course, we're going to hold people accountable to them, but we expect you to make mistakes. We expect you to not be as collaborative on a project where you think you have a bigger stake in it, or, but we're going to encourage you to push yourself to be more collaborative and to, and to buy into our ideals. Um, so I, I wouldn't say that, you know, David and I have arguments as, as two brothers that founded a business together, but we're at a point now where we can look at each other and say, smarter? happier richer is it happening right now because it needs to be happening (laughs) we're the founders if we can't demonstrate that then we can't expect that from others so um it's 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 an ideal and we do love the um the goal that we have as a company as an operating ceo where are you finding the most challenges with implementing these principles it's a great question i try Uh, you nailed it (laughs) um i think that um I think I'm, my, my view on communication is changing. Mm. And I think that my view on communication, which was, um, you know, um, reasonable, was sharing information. Everybody kind of needs to know what's going on. We want people to be as informed as possible. We want to communicate effectively. And we want that communication to be interactive, right? So it's not just we're broadcasting leadership's view. We want to hear back. We want to have a very um, social and open culture. But I think the next level of communication is alignment. And that's a challenge. If, if I say we're working on a project and I come in and say we need to be aligned out of the gate, if it's a new employee or somebody I've never worked with before and I'm the CEO saying that, it sounds like, well, he, he, Tom's really looking for yes. You better do what I <laughs> you want better, you to do. Exactly. You better say what I want you to say. Exactly. And so how do you, how do you define alignment around? Alignment is not obedience. Exactly. How is it that everyone's fully assertive? Um, how how does it lead to negotiation and compromise, and how does it deepen your understanding while also meeting the deadlines you're trying to meet as a business? And when when, when do you um, when do you disagree as a leader and commit to somebody else's vision? And when do you ask others to buy into a vision where it might be a leap of faith for them? And how do you do that at scale? Um, where where 
we're a small company. We're about 330 employees, but we're probably on path in the next five years to hire an average of maybe 150 people a year. So our company's changing. We're in a different place 25 years in than we've been in, and that's exciting for us. A lot of opportunities, but we have more uh, fools working in remote places, different satellite offices, different countries. How do you work alignment, communication, getting everyone on the same page, alignment that isn't obedience. It is um, shared beliefs, goals, um, disagreements, um, and how do you hold yourselves accountable? If, if, if we've negotiated on something and I've kind of gotten slightly the better deal on that one because I'm really passionate and you're willing to buy in, but then it doesn't work out. Um, how am I held accountable? Like, hey, you, you, you weren't right on this one, Tom. So what does that mean for the next time that you have such a high degree of passion and you think you should be the leader of this project? So, um, and I'll, sorry for this long answer, but um, Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, through a venture firm was an investor in our company. So we got to know him. And at one point I had asked Howard, I was sharing with Howard how exciting it must be to run Starbucks because every morning the world gets up to enjoy your product. I mean, you know your business is succeeding by 9 a.m. every day. And he said, you know, you must be insane. The, the reality is as your business grows, you get more problems. You don't just get more problems or more, more money, challenges. More money, more problems. You got it. Um, <laughs> you don't just have more money, more problems. You actually have more money, more difficult problems, more challenging problems. And you have to figure out how to scale yourself. And really, and what Howard said, which I remember almost every day, is you have to decide if those are the problems you want to solve in life. And you have to be honest with yourself if you don't. You have to set somebody else up who really does. Um, and we just so happen to have started a business in a subject that we love. So David and I are still here 25 years in, excited about the next round of challenges. Wow. So if I'm a CEO listening to this show, and I'm not that familiar with conscious capitalism, what are some of the key ideas that you want to leave them with as somebody who's maybe 10 or so years into, this, into your conscious capitalism journey? The first is to map out all your stakeholders. Um, so to really understand who has a stake in the success of your business and what sort of experience do you think they're really having? I would say that for us at The Motley Fool, the stakeholder that um, we have the most work to do um, with is our, our prospective buyers. So you haven't purchased anything from us but you're thinking about it. You're getting emails from us. You're reading articles. Are we confusing you? Or are we making it very clear what our principles are? Do we actually have a way to measure whether or not you've succeeded with us, whether you ever bought anything from us? Of course, naturally in business, you're thinking, I want to serve the people who are paying me. Thank you very much. I'm not here to serve the world that's not going to pay me. But if you do a good job of serving the world that's not going to pay you, it turns out people are going to start paying you more, right? And so how well do we do in that? So there's almost an unlimited number of stakeholders that we could list. If we sat for any organization of almost any size, we'd be surprised how many there are. And once you start to view the world that way, for us, you start to realize a stakeholder, I mean, can be an advocate. Mm. Most public companies, for example, they have a shareholder meeting it's not a particularly dynamic experience for anyone. I think most public companies aren't looking forward to their shareholder meeting, and they look to get out of the other side of it, and there's maybe a shareholder activist in there. But what if they turn their shareholders into a group of advocates, champions, believers, true believers that want to spread their purpose? And but isn't that why conscious capitalist companies become exponential? Is because that's exactly what happens, right? I do believe so, yes. Wow, okay. I do believe so. And I'd say the second thing about conscious capitalism, at least, that I anchor on is time horizon. Mm. And to really understand 
what, how long do you want to be doing what you're doing? Mm. And how can you build around that time horizon? How can you be transparent with everyone? And I do believe that the most important institutions of the future are created by people for whom this is their life's calling. And they may move from CEO to chairman to vice chairman or to whatever it is, but they always want to be associated with that organization. They want to see that. They never want to completely sell the business. If they did, they still view it as in their portfolio, as something that they have a responsibility to be an advisor or to or to guide forward. So I think those are the greatest uh, businesses, and they're the, they're the super long-term time horizon. And that's some of the conflict that emerges for private companies mid um, um, level businesses that have some financiers maybe that have a shorter time horizon and how do you work alignment around somebody who knows they're going to be selling the stock in your organization three years from now versus you and your founders let's say that want to be doing this for the next 20 years hmm. so I think it's a stakeholder orientation time horizon and um, um, I mean it's self-criticism you know I, I, I can't remember if we spoke when we spoke before about culture amp um, so CultureAmp is an Australian company, and it's a survey tool that simply allows you to ask, let's say, well, as many as you want, but let's say 30 questions of your, of your employees twice a year. And then you get data back from CultureAmp, and it's sliced and diced almost according to any factor you can think of as long as there are more than five people in that group so that you preserve their anonymity. And what ended up happening for us at The Motley Fool is although our engagement scores have been very high in every tool we've ever used, Gallup surveys, et cetera, we're always 80% plus or pretty much always. And that's great because the average company is 30%. So we're thinking we're amazing. Eight out of 10 people love coming to work. Of course, we began to say, well, that means two out of 10. Like, that's not a good feeling. I mean, I don't want to be in a group of 10 and have two that aren't feeling excited because we're not doing something that helps them um, improve or get enthusiastic about our work. And so CultureAmp then, instead of getting an aggregate number, you're getting sliced and diced across everything. And we found, for example, one year, we found that women felt that their voice was being heard less in the organization by seven percentage point difference between men and women. On the one hand, I think 4% is... The, you know, beyond that, it becomes real, and um, and so it wasn't a huge gap, but it was a gap, and we don't want that gap anywhere. But we would never have seen that without that tool. And when we get those results back, I notice whenever we get the results back, there's always a day of pain as people are like, <laughs> "Wow, you're reading through 870 comments, and you're seeing some numbers that are lower in some places than you wanted." But then you wake up the next day and say, "Let's solve it. Like, let's bring that group in and say." We're not doing something right together. How can we make this great? We don't want to waste another year of anyone's life. Um, so I think the measuring tools and self-criticism and always trying to get better is something I associate with conscious companies. Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much for your time. I know you're really busy, and I appreciate the time that you came to speak with, Con- with CEO Exclusive. Am I allowed to ask you a question? Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah, we have as long as Deidre is not That's so in. good. What is motivating you in your work? Oh, wow. So my higher purpose is creating a world where people's hearts, minds, bellies, and wallets are full. And I believe the best tool for doing that is business. And I believe that the businesses that can do that most effectively are mid-sized businesses. Mm. And so CEO exclusive, and I I had the belief system around conscious capitalism before I had the language for it. Mm Um, and so I met all these people when we were talking and then I found out that there's a word and then there are people and there's a conference and there's, you know, a board and investment and people are doing this thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, like you said, it's my tribe. I didn't even know. I was like, Oh my God, this is great. Um, and so for me, I think of CEO exclusive, which is the podcast that you're on. I'm so great that glad that, um, Deidre, you know, and, and we made it work. 
is devoted to making sure that every single mid-market business in the country knows that this thing exists and understands the power of it for growing and building a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. It's not Mm do-gooderism. It's not corporate philanthropy. Mm -hmm. It's not social responsibility. It is the thing that is going to make your business the most profitable, Mm -hmm. the most effective, grow the fastest, have the happiest people, Mm -hmm. provide the best margins. That is the thing. Mm -hmm. And having people understand that and then develop some facility with the principles. Mm -hmm. So if people are listening to CEO Exclusive over time, yes, they'll get introduced to conscious capitalism, certainly, Mm -hmm. but the hope is through listening to you and listening to John Mackey and listening to Rob and listening to Kip, Hmm. listening to all the other businesses that are of the same size, and they'll actually learn how to work with the principles Hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. So that's CEO exclusive. Hmm. And then I think, you know, we've had the conversation about metrics. Hmm. Um, One of my concerns about the movement, you know, like I'm kind of a newcomer, Hmm. you know. Great. Right? Um, Is that we could slip into um, either kind of a binary judgment-based conversation, Hmm. like, a bunch of people coming into a conference to mm-hmm. pat each other on the back for how mm-hmm. great they are mm-hmm. and being good people. Mm-hmm. I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. I go to church and I help the mm-hmm. people. Aren't I great? Mm-hmm. And that's what it devolves into, which is just going to turn it into a label mm-hmm. um, because no business is perfect. No person is perfect. And mm-hmm. if we devolve into social performance, conscious capitalism isn't going to be a real thing that changes real business. Mm-hmm. It's going to become a label that people seek mm-hmm. for marketing purposes. Love it. So, Part of what I think we need to do is to get beyond that and start mm-hmm. to develop ways of measuring mm-hmm. the reality of the implementation of conscious business principles in a business mm-hmm. so that, you know, you know, as a CEO, what you don't, what you, ha- what you don't manage, you can't measure, mm-hmm. what you don't measure, you can't manage, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. Mm-hmm. And the only way that I think, or one of the key tools, not the only, that's mm-hmm. an extreme, but I like extreme statements. Yeah, no, it's, it's the, the, the way that we're going to have the tools necessary to understand what's really happening with conscious business principles inside a business mm. is going to be some sophisticated level of metrics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the beauty of that is we have more and more technology mm-hmm. that we can develop. Um, I think of a company like Upwork mm-hmm. um, where we're starting to build tools with Upwork now and, developers that we can hire on contract um, and and we can create these tools that allow us to measure things more rapidly than waiting for something off the shelf although obviously there are great tools that exist there as well but I'll just say that I, I think that the opportunities to measure effectively are increasing mm-hmm. and I think that the more examples there are out there to match narrative with data and to show uh, as you started um, as you said, that this is the way to win long term. It, it takes some more sacrifices in the short term. In some in some cases, it takes more time, takes more thought, more rigor. Um, but the greatest businesses will will sacrifice some short term pain for long term excellence any day. And um, uh, I love what you're working on, and I look forward to seeing you running conscious capitalism. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I'm like <laughs> blushing. If I could blush, I I would. Thank you so much. Thank you so yeah. Much. Yeah. Right on. I just moved you onto the board and b- b- bounced Dave off the board. <laughs>